Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Day Beautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest is a writer and editor from Alabama. And like Lady Day Beautiful, she received her undergraduate from Mississippi State. Go Bulldogs. She then earned her MFA from Vanderbilt University and worked as a teacher in Nambia, a school librarian, and as a bookseller. Her work has been published in the Kenyan Review, Black Warrior Review, and The Rumpus, among others. She currently is based in Washington, D.C. Her debut story collection, House Gone Quiet, is out now. Please welcome Kelsey Norris. Hey, Kelsey. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Adam. I'm in New uh, York, so. Yes, yes, you are tour. in New York on book tour, which I am so excited about. I, I talked to a lot of the authors on Day Beautiful way before publication. It's just, mm-hmm. and then your, like, I just, I knew I wanted to talk to you, and then I was traveling, and then your book tour started, and I was like, oh, are we going to make this happen? And we did. We're here. I mean. Honestly, it feels very cool to be like, oh, I'm about to go do a book event. Yeah. An interview, you know? Exactly. Like- <laughs> and and your, your event tonight, when we're, so this will come out after the event we're about to talk about, but I want to talk huh? about the event. You're at Greenlight Books in Brooklyn, yeah. right? Yeah, which I've actually never been to. I've never visited before. So I'm really, I'm really stoked to be there. It was beautiful. I happened to also be in New York randomly last week for my day job. And I saw, I was at Greenlight for Molly McGee's book launch. And I know you did your MFA with her at the same time at Vanderbilt. Molly lived in Nashville at the same time that I Got was it. doing my MFA at Vandy. Yeah. yeah. And I think she, when I interviewed her like a few weeks ago, either during the actual interview or before she was just mentioning you and I was talking about how hyped I was to talk to you because your book, House Gone Quiet, is bananas good. I love it so much. Thank you. Also, coincidentally, Molly's book, Jonathan Abernathy, You Are Kind, is excellent. I just got through it and had so much fun. Like back-to-back books, back-to-back guests who are amazing. Um, Tell me about... (laughs) House Gone Quiet, what, how do you pitch it yourself as opposed to like your publicist or what the journalists think it's about? What is yeah. House Gone Quiet? I mean, it's probably going to be pretty similar because I did help write <laughs> yeah. the book jacket copy, but uh, House Gone Quiet is the t- collection of 10 short stories uh, that are pretty vastly different in subject material and also sort of play in their play with genre and what they, what they lean across. Um, but collectively the stories are all about, um, what it means to call a place home. Um, mm-hmm. There are collectives and groups, um, be it like an, a family, an island community, a village um, throughout the collection. And they're sort of grappling with the idea of what it means to belong or what it means to not belong within mm-hmm. those communities. Yeah. And you're, I want to talk about place a lot. You're from Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, undergrad at Mississippi State, where Lady Day Beautiful also went. Uh, oh, master cool. your MFA from uh, Vanderbilt, so the South, yeah. right? Relative. Yeah, yeah. Now you're not in the South, and I'll get to that. Right. But how how did like Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee like shape you as a person? Not, let's talk about not talk about writing, but like how do you yeah. feel like the South is reflected in your everyday life? I mean, I'm Southern, though I managed to sneak out without much of an accent. So I feel like when I do say that I spent much of my life in the South, I'm like arguing with people. They're like, you don't sound like it. I'm like, well, I did. Um, But uh, the South is home. It was so nice. Um, This 
what, two days ago, I got to be at Southern Festival of Books for an event. So mm -hmm. uh, it felt like a homecoming and just that that's where my family is. That's where I went to school. That's where a lot of my friends live. Um, so, you know, the South is, it's a complicated place to be from. Uh, mm -hmm. And especially um, I'm a Black woman. Uh, and so I, I, I think that, you know, like, the South is not always so welcoming, maybe to people who represent marginalized identities, you know, historically and, and currently, um, whatever mm -hmm. those identities are. And I do think that sort of bled into uh, my writing and this collection in particular, um, because I think, despite that sort of complicated relationship that I have with it, it is home and it is like the place where I feel comfortable. It's like a comfort where I'm sort of keeping an, <laughs> an eye yeah. on things. Um, and so I think that that is sort of also what my characters end up doing. They're yeah. they're sort of in a place that feels very much a part of them. But the the feeling of that place is sort of it's 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 pushing on them. It's something they're aware of and a part of at the same time. Yeah. As like, you know, a woman a black woman from the South where historically it wasn't easy to to be yourself right i mean there's a lot of oppression i mean everywhere but especially by white men in the south i feel as someone who has traveled there a lot um did you have like a lot of mentorship and and like allyship like growing up in school with like when you said you would want to write or when did you like i don't like does that make sense yeah like did you get a lot of support in the school system with your creativity I mean... I think, I mean, I don't remember any particular pushback at like mm -hmm. anybody telling me, no, I went to school in Huntsville, which has a really great um, public school system. Cool. And I don't, I mean, as much as it would have been a delight to like know what I wanted to be the whole time I was growing up, uh, that was just not the case for me. Sure, I, I sure. always wanted to be creative, uh, but for a minute there, I wanted to grow up and be Mariah Carey. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm mixed, so it's every, you know. Um, mixed little girls dream mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> to be Mariah Carey um, but I don't have the voice for it so she can have she can have um, yeah. and then, so I, I always knew I wanted to be creative always loved writing um, but I don't think I took a stab at creative writing um, for a while you know like occasionally in like small school projects in elementary school but I didn't really take a, a first stab at it until I was in um, my undergraduate and huh. in my undergrad at Mississippi State, I jumped around between a million majors. I came in as an international business major, which uh, I would have been so bad at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank yeah. goodness that's not where I landed. Um, but, and I was taking English classes and uh, sort of like critical theory kind of classes. And then um, I believe it was like the last semester of my junior year, I took a short story workshop. Wow. Um, with Dr. Mike Cardos. Um, and it was, I, I am a bit of a perfectionist and I tend to maybe have a tendency to avoid something if I'm, you know, like I loved writing. I mean, I love writing, but I love reading so much that, uh, I think I, it, it really was painful to think that this thing that I so loved and so appreciated and so desperately wanted to be a part of that I might just like not be good at. So I sort mm -hmm. of, avoided it 
but then during that class, um, had workshop and, and and felt very supported, not only by my professor, but by the other writers in the room. And you sort of learn, you know, it's, it's workshops. So you learn how you learn where to take your cues, you know, like the, the feedback hurts, but then you learn who to listen to in the room. And, um, and then the same, same thing in Mississippi state, you sort of have like workshops that go great workshops that don't go so great and learned things from there. But I don't think, it was maybe a little bit more complicated in my um, graduate school p- program mm. uh, because there were, it's a relatively small program. Vanderbilt, ha- at least at the time that I was there, let in three poets and three fiction writers per year. Wow. Okay. Um, and so just the way that that played out in the classroom setting, um, I was the only black writer in my fiction class and sort of mirrored on the other side in our poetry classes, um, Tiana Clark, who's a wonderful poet. Um, and now, uh, is about to delve into nonfiction as well. Um, but she was the only black poet in her classes. And so I think that was maybe like at a time where you're also trying to decide what kind of writing you want to do, right? Like, I don't know. I think sometimes like, right. Like black and brown writers are expected or like writers from any community. That's not the majority community Mm -hmm. are expected to write maybe about that perspective or if they're not expected to it maybe feels like you're expected mm-hmm. to just from like generally what's being published or or what's being lauded at the time um and so I, I I think I felt some of that um whether or not it was direct pressure from anybody of just like what am I supposed to be um writing and so that was sort of like um a struggle with the earliest versions of this collection which was part of my thesis statement is sort of like am i writing about blackness am i writing about the south am i putting together a southern collection right because mm-hmm. i think at that point i was like okay collections are about identity or they're about place and if they're about place they're about like a place mm-hmm. um right like an apartment complex or a region right yeah. so something like that um and because the stories i was interested in writing weren't necessarily only doing one of those things I was like how does this exist as a collection it took some time to sort of uh maybe give myself permission and get permission from other people um to be able to stretch in whatever weird direction I wanted to go yeah I mean I even think you know I've I've interviewed hundreds of authors at this point and I think even sometimes I ask like that I ask coded questions and I don't even catch myself until I'm re-listening to the podcast and it's like I don't even mean to but I think it's and it's something I'm working on, but it's like ingrained in publishing, even though it's so, I mean, like it. the way that everything's categorized, right? Like yeah. those bias categories of just like, this is what, like a book has to, I mean, no book is about one thing, but yeah. it's a particular thing that I think non-white authors run into because like a book's never labeled like Caucasian stories. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, despite that being what many white authors Most books are. Most books are about. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so you get to Vanderbilt. So, I mean, did you know, cause I'm curious about this, like MFAs, did you like know those were a thing before you started taking like your junior year writing classes at Mississippi state? Oh, I, I, I did not. I, uh, I'm trying to remember when I heard of an MFA for the first, I, I think it was probably around that senior year mm-hmm. that I was graduate. Cause, uh, heading out, straight out of undergrad, I went and, um, worked as a Peace Corps volunteer in cool. Namibia. Um, so I was sort of branching sideways from like a creative career. And I think at that point I was, um, you know, 
either going to do sort of like public service work or um, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I necessarily thought that I could make a career of being creative. I think I would, I, my parents are like very supportive, but they're also like very practical people. They worked for the government, uh, Mm -hmm. careers and like, you know, I, I was like, I need to find something stable. And yet it it just like was never the, the smoothest fit for me to, uh, to, you know, sit down, uh, in an office environment and focus on one thing for, (laughs) for however long. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it must've, I think my professors probably mentioned it to me, um, whether it was my Cardos or Tommy and, or Tommy Anderson at Mississippi state, both of whom were really wonderful mentors for me. Um, and so I was like, sort of, sort of aware of them trying to look at like top lists. And then as I, as I was finishing up my Peace Corps service, um, during the second year, I wrote a short story, uh, with a plan to submit it along with my application in sort of, and, and I think my plan was I'll apply to these, but it won't work. Like I, I won't get in and that will mm-hmm. be fine. And then I will know that I need to, you know, like look for a job yeah. in the state or look for, you know, look for, um, sort of a DC based like international job. So that was, that was the plan, right? I will not get it. And then, <laughs> Uh, in coming home, I got a call from Kate Daniels, who was running the MFA program at Vanderbilt at, at the time. And she was like, you're in. And that was like one of the most shocking calls of my life. It was so wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so, and then, I mean, just like being part of that, being part of that community, I think was so exciting. Like I had never, I, I was an English major when mm-hmm. I finally settled into my undergraduate degree, but I think um, the MFA was just people excited about books, excited about all kinds of different books, like really stoked on sentences, you know, just like oh, yeah. it was, it was, and, and so interested in like a wide range of things. Um, and I learned so much just from being able to soak up things from my fellow writers, professors, the visiting writers that came to that program. Um, so it was really wonderful. Yeah. No, that's so exciting to find that community of people who, are excited to talk about not just like books, but like mm-hmm. specific things, the sentence or like, yeah. I always talk about the vibe. Like I just felt like, Ooh, yeah, I like that. That like, yeah, yeah, made yeah. Me feel cozy. Uh-huh. Um, so when you're at Vanderbilt then like, so do you get stoked on sentences? Like you threw that out or sentence level, like what gets you going? Yeah. On to a point where maybe it's not so important. I remember at one point when we were, uh in a writing class during my MFA and uh um a writer classmate and I were going back and forth about this like page of a book where I was like this is written so beautifully um I I and uh it was by Louise Erdrick it was mm-hmm. uh, and we were reading this passage and she was like but I don't know what's happening like I can't totally tell what they're describing in this particular section and I was like yeah but the vibes are in the I was I, I yeah. think I think that's when I realized maybe it wasn't so important to me to to necessarily be able to to track uh what exactly was being painted so much as because sometimes how it's being communicated is as much the story yeah as anything else so yeah I I really love just breaking a 
breaking a story down to its lines. Um, mm-hmm. My first workshop at Vanderbilt was with Lori, Lori Moore, which uh, mm-hmm. was so exciting and so cool, but also, you know, a little intimidating. Um, but Lori used to do this thing at the end of a work where you could, you know, you could have, I don't think she, workshops never got like completely out of control, out of hand, but um if you could have like a workshop that didn't go well, right? Like I've, I've, I've posted, I've posted a story yeah. to the group. It's not landing. It just is what it is. But Lori would do this thing that I always appreciated where at the end she would be like, let's talk sentences. Let's talk a couple lines that, that really hit us or seemed to say something larger about this story or that stuck with us afterwards. Um, and I think that really emphasized the point that a like stories are made up of those lines. And like, maybe yeah. that's what you come out with sometimes maybe like what sticks with you is those couple of lines and there's the, maybe the idea that there's always like a saving grace to a story in its language um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like if you can maybe if a story's not working if you can hone in on that one part that was that that one sentence that landed with people like maybe that's actually the essence of your story so go back to that and work it yeah and maybe the story will save itself so yeah are some it sounds like some of the stories from House Gone Quiet were from your Vanderbilt years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I've I was I think I've said before that it's about half half, but actually yeah. looking back through my table of contents, it's like seven. Yeah. I think seven of those stories started there. And you know, there were very different iterations of yeah. them over time. And as I worked with um editors at Literary Mags who published them and stuff. So there are like different hands. Uh, in those stories but but yeah a fair amount of them were from there and I think that was maybe part of what was causing my internal conflict uh, (laughs) at the time because those stories like one's about Namibia one's about the south when they they were were, how were they working together I think was was what I was running into yeah and I'll dive into that but I'm curious just like what if you can pick one story that maybe changed the most over the years like how did it change where did it change what needed to change and like this is kind of letting you just freestyle and vamp about one of your stories yeah Mm. okay so the sound of women waiting which is the opening story of the collection which used to be called an escalation which is honestly just like a very hard thing to make your mouth say so it doesn't work partially just because of that um that story uh, initially when I submitted it for workshop, it was, um, about a country that used like in, in the initial version of the story, the women were used as, a. I think there's a plane flying overhead. So that's what's happening right now. Um, <laughs> well, but I, I believe- love that. Yeah. <laughs> ambience. Uh, the, the women were used as like a, a tactic by their country. Like they were sent in to kill their husbands. Uh, rather than sent in as peace offerings, which is where the story um, is now. So they, so, but then in, in workshopping that story, it didn't really make sense in all, in the ways that women are treated and the ways that women were treated in that story, that their, that their country would trust them with such an important job. And I think I got that feedback from early readers of like, you're, you're telling two different stories. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't totally make sense the way that it, that it exists now. Um, so in the second sort of iteration of that story, it had to, it had to switch back over to, well, they've been handed over in this particular way. And then the story is about them deciding 
them taking their agency back and sort of deciding how much agency they're going to take because Mm -hmm. that story is about conflict, but it's also about like intimacy, whether or not it's sexual, just like the intimacy of sharing space with someone. Uh, And it depends on the person uh, that you're sharing a space with. But if, if that person themselves isn't necessarily causing harm to you, whether or not the situation they're part of is harmful, how does that, how do you react to that? Yeah. And then it does publish under an escalation in the Georgia Review. Mm-hmm. So it still had that title. How does how, it how that does, title? It yeah. still had that title, but it, but it, it had shifted. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. It had shifted at that point. And then um, in putting the story together uh, with all the others for the collection, um, I, ha- I was like, I was a little nudely on the title. I don't know if I worry them. And my, um agent was also like yeah I don't know if that one works so my agent helped me go through uh my agent Stephanie Delman at Trellis who's wonderful helped me go through that story and find lines that could exist as as the story cool I mean as the title. Yeah, yeah yeah when it's going getting published in 2018 at Georgia Review how is it edited then like what was that process like go- going through something you had workshopped to now it's a- another editor's touching it maybe yeah getting pubbed at Georgia Review was so excited. It was my first publication. Um, I had done this thing that year where I, so I kept getting, you know, things were sitting in my submittable queue. Like I had submitted all these stories, but I wasn't hearing anything back about them. They would just get marked to rejected. They would just switch over. And then I realized that it was because I had switched off my inbox feature. So it wasn't (laughs) forwarding any emails like anything that anyone said to me about those stories on the editorial side mm-hmm. was not switching over to me uh so I so I spent just like months in anguish that wow, did not yeah. be there because uh, you know there's yeah. like an I think there's an there's a time at least when I was submitting where you don't hear anything but you hear no back and then there's a, a there was a stretch of time for me where I was getting a lot of like almost and that can be frustrating but that's also really exciting of like okay I'm I'm creeping closer to the thing so that was my like period of almost which I would not have discovered had I not realized that that inbox feature was turned off so uh luckily I did get the acceptance letter from Georgia Review and um from what I remember I think that that editorial touch was pretty light it was pretty much like um clarity questions like this this part doesn't make that much sense to me and maybe language tweaks in a couple of places um and and different stories need different things but i but that story at least in the version of georgia review and i and i think now as well uh is pretty close to the version that i submitted to them which is which is really nice yeah that's awesome i I love going through uh the life of story because i feel Mm -hmm. As a non-writer, which is how I describe myself, I'm just a talker, but I think other new writers or emerging writers or people who aren't yet in MFAs think, I write something and it's done. Mm -hmm. Or like it's edited for copy, but like things shift and change throughout years before a story gets published. Yeah. And there are other stories in the collection, like Centuries is one where the initial seed of the story uh, was its ending. Mm -hmm. And then by the time that story has come out in Kenyon Review, uh, it doesn't have that. And and it it just didn't have that ending anymore. That was it was the wrong idea. And I don't I don't think 
I think that happened before it got to Kenyon Review. That happened. Um, but yeah, that's a like a story where it wasn't so intact. Like the the original seed of that, which was a different ending, had the right language rhythm, but didn't make sense for what actually the problem of the story was. I think it was like her interaction with a boy and her mm. like standing up for herself. But actually that story is about her family. Mm. Um, so it ends up in a place about her family. Definitely. And um, so, yeah, with Centuries and um, I'm forgetting the actual new title of the first story. What's the new like new title? The of the first story? Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> no those worries. stories we kind of talked about, like how, what you look for in edits and what you look for in workshops. But like what when do you know a story is a Kelsey Norris story? It's like done and you feel comfortable submitting. Like, what do you look for in your edits? I don't know that I have a, I think I will take a story as far as I can take it. Like I, ideally I sit down for like one to two sittings and push the story out. So the stories always end up a little shorter than they're going to be. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't do that thing where you like write long and then trim a bunch of stuff down, cool. um, which does mean that I'm a little precious about things, which can be an issue. But um, so initially I get that first version down and then um, I print it out uh and go through because there's so much I feel like there's so much intangibleness to writing there's I'm sure a smarter word also (laughs) I don't think intangibleness is actually a word but um it's it's really helpful for me to have like a physical object in front of me is like here is a thing that you can you've at least done step one and here it is you're holding it so I'll print it out and then go through it uh and and at that point I'm I'm doing editing so I'm uh copy editing myself but I'm also I'll let myself sort of like flow off to this. If, if something doesn't make sense or I've actually missed a, if if whatever sentence I'm writing actually sparks a new paragraph, I'll write that off in the margins and then add that back in once I get back to my computer version of the, of the story. Um, but typically when, when a story is done, it's, it's, it's just, I've taken it as far as I can take it. And, and yeah. sometimes, and I try as hard as it is, I, I'll try not to send it to somebody with, a caveat of like, I think the momentum's off or like, sure. I don't think it's a strong sense of play. Cause I think I, I learned in my MFA that I think when you do, I don't, you, I think you should sort of let a story stand yeah. on its own and, and let somebody come to their own conclusions about what's missing and what's not. And otherwise you might set yourself up for <laughs> a failure yeah. that you necessarily need or, or whatever I think is missing from the story. Isn't necessarily the thing that other readers who are outside my brain are finding as a thing that's so so then I just hand it to somebody who I trust whether that's like um another classmate from my MFA program or an editor at a journal or my agent or my editor currently um just to say like I've taken it as far as I can take it and and normally what I'm asking for at that point is like a like a vibe check to let me know where the momentum of the story is off or where Mm. somebody left the what George Saunders has this like wonderful, uh, it's uh like a, I don't know what to call it, like a path, a, a theory on fiction where it's like a little black box that you want the reader to be in and you don't want them to notice that they're, you know, like at no point do you want them to push the top off the box and be like, I've been here, you know? So you want them to sort of be immersed in whatever the world is. So normally the most useful feedback for me is like, can you let me know where I lost you or where I confused you or where 
something slowed down or picked up way too quick. Um, yeah. So that's awesome for have you ever like passed off a story to a trusted reader and their reading of it or, or yeah, was like just wildly different than what you thought readers would come away with? Uh, I don't, I think not, maybe not so much with, I mean, cause you, you sort of learn, or at least like I learned during my MFA program that there were people in the room who sort of got what I was trying to do. And there were people in the room who we, we just weren't linked yeah. up in that sure. way. So I learned to sort of, I mean, and not that you don't want to take negative feedback from people because that's valid. But I think if I think what you want is like grace from your readers, you want mm -hmm. them to see your intention for the story and help help it get there rather than you want you want them to meet the story where it's at, help yeah. it, help help it get to where it's going. And um, so occasionally, I guess you'll get feedback where it's like, do that. And I, I think sort of my gut reaction will be like, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just uh, let myself get away with it. But I do, I do while I'm getting feedback um, in a workshop, I will like take notes all the way through sort of write things down. I have a hard time like hearing information and digesting it. So it's more useful for me to take notes. So I'll, I'll, I'll write things down and then I'll sort of not look at that paper ever again and then let, let it like sit however it's going to sit in my brain for a week and then a week later, you like, I'll come back to the page and it sort of feels like the main things have moved forward. Like the things that I yeah. actually wanted to do, the things that resonated with me. And then they also sort of feel like my ideas, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. No, I feel that I, I feel there's like many books or some books or a lot of books, whatever. I don't know. I don't count, but it's, I get what the author's trying to do and it's like, not for me, but it's still mm -hmm. good, you know? And like, I feel mm -hmm. that's okay. That's yeah, and I'm not the reader for everything anyway. Yeah. You know, like you'll read something, yeah, like you're saying, and just be like, this isn't my jam. That doesn't make it bad. It's just not my thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah. so encountering readers who find your stories that way, that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Like it, it makes sense that not everybody's my reader. For sure. Um, so you finished your MFA. Did you get an agent during your MFA? I like to talk about timeline <laughs> stuff. Tell me the timeline of it, yeah. Ooh, my MFA agents. So, <laughs> uh, no, I did not get an agent. Um, I think they had us, uh, meet with a couple of agents during our MFA program, but I, I think it was, it was a little more, uh, Vanderbilt's program was like a little bit more craft focused than, um, maybe like publishing focused. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't one where they like had a bunch of people come into, you know, like the, where they were reading, where we were being read by outside professionals the whole time. Um, mm -hmm. No, I, so I graduated with my MFA. I spent an extra year there. So I had three years there. Um, and then I moved up to DC and uh, worked as a bookseller for a couple years. Like Where, where at? Uh, at Busboys and Poets. Cool. I love to uh, shout out bookstores. They're my life. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and I was at their K Street location. Um and I worked there as a bookseller at first and then actually worked as a bookseller at a couple of their locations. Um, yeah, shout out to to Busboys, who's been really wonderful and supportive since the book came out and let me go in and sign some copies lately, which was really exciting. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and then I also worked as a manager there uh, at that location and one other location. Anyway, um, and then right as the pandemic was sort of starting to rear its ugly head, I left that job. Um, 
And right around then is also when I attended um, Tin House, their their writer's workshop. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. the first year that they did it totally online because the pandemic had made it impossible for us to travel to them. Um, so it was like a new format, but considering they had never done it before, I f- they did a great job. Um, and I was in Nana Kwame Ajibrenya's workshop. Um, oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Getting Nana. And also Nana ran such a uh such a productive workshop i think wh- where we did that th- i think he he came to all of our work like really respecting it um and not being like i know everything and you know nothing like there was no sense of that at all um like he was still instructing us yeah. and, and giving us advice but it 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 didn't he was he was taking all of us seriously which was really wonderful um and he led a workshop that was you know, we're not going to tear each other up. We're going to meet the story where it's at. We're going to help it get to where it wants to go. Um, so during that workshop, um, that was, that's the first like literary workshop I think I've ever attended. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and they had agents and editors, uh, attending that and you could sign up for sessions. So maybe a little boldly considering that I didn't really have it together. I signed up, uh, for I think both an agent and an editorial meeting. And and um, I didn't end up with either of those people, but it was really helpful to be able to start pitching the book. I think partially because I was pitching it wrong or I was, I was trying to pitch it as place-based, but I was getting all tripped up in like naming the actual place because there are a lot of settings <laughs> in this collection. And, mm-hmm. and I think I was like going through that stress. And then I was like, oh, it's actually about the people who live there. Like, it's actually more about, it took me a while to figure out that it was community that mm-hmm. was my link. Mm-hmm. And I I think that revelation happened during that workshop and in conversations with Nana and with other writers who were there. Um, so then after that, um, I worked on getting an agent for a while and then landed with Stephanie at Trellis, mm-hmm. which was really wonderful. We went uh, what year was that? Look, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's fine. Pandemic times. <laughs> yeah. cool. I just feel like yeah. my time is really bad. And then the pandemic just intensified that feeling. Um, but we, we worked on the book together for, I think about, and, and mine was the first short story collection that she had picked up like solo. So I think, so it was like a leap of faith, I think yeah. uh, on Steph's part, which I really appreciate. Um, but she really believed in the book. Um, and we maybe worked on it for three months, I think, with like light touches on some of the stories. And then um, Steph did a great job of just like asking me questions about other stories. I think I'm I'm a little hardheaded about edits sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, that like perfectionist tendency, because the language is normally fine like at a copy editing level yeah. uh, and because I'm not an expansive writer who like has a bunch of sentences that I can trim down um I can be a little difficult <laughs> <laughs> with and and so Steph uh would sort of like take that and be like okay well let me ask you a series of questions about this about where I'm confused and I think like decency rule is one of the stories that we worked on because they were just whole, that story's logic is like pretty strange um, but there were little holes in it that I was either poking through or that we needed to patch up for the story to be able to stand. Cause th- that's a flash story. So I wanted it to be short and to feel quick, right? Yeah. Like it needs to move through that. Cause there's, 
I mean, when you're describing a world where everyone's told to go naked, right? Like you could talk about a million different elements, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever that town is experiencing. So I think that that story had to have a certain momentum so that I didn't have to explain everything so that I could only explain certain things and keep going. Um, so we, we worked through parts where that wasn't, where that wasn't working. Um, and then I believe the, so we thought the, the, the collection would be out on submission for a long while. And it actually was not, we, we heard back really quickly, I think yeah. within, um, I think we submitted on a Thursday and started hearing back from people on a Monday, which was really, yeah. and I think, well, which I think was not expected for, for either. But, and I, I'm, I, I think I'm not trying to, hopefully <laughs> saying that to brag so much as I think that there's a, a rap that um, short story collections are impossible to sell yeah. and that like, take yourself seriously and go out with a novel. Um, but actually the short story collection did, did, yeah. you know, people were interested in it, which was, which was really nice. And it did for, end up as a, as a two book deal, but, um, but initially, sure. but that yeah. was the story collection. So, no, I definitely have talked to so many writers, uh, debuts or on their third book, it's still the story collection and, you know, the, the whispers behind the scenes, like, I don't think this could sell. Do you have a novel? And then we could make it a package, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, 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 you know, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking up Stephanie Delman's like list of clients and it's like bangers. You, oh. uh, Vanessa Chan, who's going to be a guest. Uh, yeah. Other Amy Feltman, who I've interviewed, Jane Nicole Jones, like so many people. And like, she has good taste is all I'm saying. And I'm, out like, next year. Yeah, so many well, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, just bangers after bangers. I love to see and I, it. I, and it's nice because uh, Steph and the, uh, Steph's writers, as well as sort of like the wider team of trellis writer it, it really has felt like another community that, yeah. that people are very people who i've never met in person many of those writers um have been like so supportive and so wonderful about resharing things or even like texting to be like how's your publication going you know yeah. so yeah, i feel sure. really like part no, of it. that's awesome i'm gonna flash forward to publication day last week yeah last week your mm-hmm. book comes out you're yep. also long listed for a pretty major award. Uh, what a nice. wild day. How are you doing? Like in this I'm good. I mean, I think so like heading into the books pub, I would get questions about like, are you nervous? Mm-hmm. And of course it's like nerve wracking that you go from a person who's like unknown maybe to like having any kind of recognition. Like I am by no means famous, you know? But still like, people now are reading, like strangers yeah. are reading your book. Yeah, but it was, but that was like an acute want of mine when I was working at the bookstore and shelving all these beautiful books. Like I wanted to put my own book on the bookshelf and like now it is on a bookshelf. And so, and there's the road to publication is such a long, right? You sell the book and it's like a year and a half or a year until it comes out. Um, And so I've I've just been really excited. So then it being longlisted for a prize and whatever reviews it picks up and whatever podcast interviews I get to mm-hmm. do and all that it just feels like a bonus because I I think I don't know it's 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 exciting to think that now I get to have this like new relation because you know you work on these stories and uh, I was asked recently like what do you want writers to take away from your collection and like because there are 10 stories that are very different from each other it is very much like a choose your own adventure <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of situation. 
And I think like, if you don't like one story, there are nine more that don't have yeah. anything to do. So, uh, but I, it's, it's exciting to, cause that's the thing that I love about reading is you'll like read a book with your best pal and y'all will go to talk about it and you'll get totally different things from it. Yeah. And either of them are less valid than the other, but you know, you just come away with those. So I'm excited now that I get to have conversations with readers about where they landed about things, you know, yeah. like I, I'm, I'm really stoked. No, it's so awesome. And, uh, a few years ago on Twitter, I think, I don't know how, I don't, a tweet went out about reading stories in collections out of order. Mm. And I forgot who tweeted it and what the point of it was, but I was like, I don't read, I don't always read collections in order. And that was like, mm -hmm. I mean, it didn't go viral. I don't go viral, but people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I, I read them in order now for the most part, but every now and then mm -hmm. it's like, I just want to pick up like, yeah, that a flash piece that's like, I know is only you know, three, four, five pages, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Or I want like a long one that makes me feel weird. Anyway. And I think that's totally fine. Like, because this isn't a collection where it's like, you know, there are ones where it's linked. Yeah. To, yeah. Here's a group of friends. Here's this person from the story. And this this collection is not doing that. So yeah, sorry, I've got one in there. If you need a longer story, there's one in there. If you need a story told backwards, head to the last story, you know. There we go, see? Um, so you mentioned briefly it was a two book deal is a novel in your future, more stories, creative nonfiction. What are you, what are you vibing with for, for the future? Novel is in my future. So uh, I'm, it's, it's been really exciting to learn how that form works. I don't think, cause I think collections get this rap also that they're like warm ups for a novel. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm write collections until they start taking themselves seriously and then they become novelists and then that's all they ever write and you know I'm saying this now so who knows how it will change but I hope that um I'll get to move back and forth because I really yeah. do appreciate the forms for for their the differences that they bring you know like sometimes you want to sit with a story and be with it for an extended period of time sometimes you want to pick up a novella and yeah. still have that same experience but like be able to knock it out in one sitting and I really appreciate short stories for sort of like the compactness that they have to do and how, how like you can't really have wasted lines in a story collection because they don't have enough time. Yes. Um, and like, especially, you know, I, I don't think I was the only person during uh, the pandemic to hit reading funks mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, outside of the pandemic as well. And so I was really appreciative of short stories to be able to let me like just being able to feel like you completed something and then you can jump into, you can choose whether or not you want to jump into the next thing immediately. Okay. You want to go to sleep and then you want to read it in the morning or whatever. Yeah. You know? um, so yeah, a novel's a, a novel's in my immediate future, but then hopefully, hopefully I get to keep branching out from there and, and just go where the stories take me. Yeah, no, I love that. Like, I mean, yeah, so many of my favorite writers have like their third, fourth book is like a collection. Like I've been working on this for a while or mm -hmm. they, maybe they've been published. Maybe they haven't, but it's like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. That's just so exciting. Um, Cause it's cool uh, to see them like stretch in different direct to see yeah. them do different kinds. And, and, you know, like some, I feel like some ideas can't really get stretched out into a novel. Some of them would have way too many holes at that. Mm -hmm. And I think like, especially cause I tend to read and really enjoy and maybe write um stories with weird little premises yeah. some of those weird little premises cannot or would have would struggle in a yeah. there would be too many holes poking through in a novel um and yeah. so short, short fiction is where you go with that 
For sure. No, I, I have been loving short fiction so much more lately. And I think like t- this year, what is it? 2023. Yeah. Um, so many great collections. Like yours is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Shannon Sanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, company. Yeah. yeah. Company. And then like uh, every drop is a man's nightmare. Yeah. Uh, Megan's book. So go good. To Megan's reading at loyalty and like meet her and and we were out for submission around the same time so we sort of knew each other virtually and so it was really nice to meet her and also to just be encounter encountering her wonderful collection so yeah, it's just so amazing I love it so much um and I'll wrap up with yeah like just writers you love and admire and vibe with um living dead current books not out yet who's, yeah who's on your list who's the who's who yeah I'll say uh I just recently read um a book that's coming out next year a novel uh, by Alina Grabowski called Women and Children First. Um, yes. Loved that, like a like a moody coastal vibe, a mystery, mm-hmm. uh, literary fiction coming out with Sando. That was really wonderful. Like generally writers that I vibe with, um, Nana Kwame Ajayi, yeah. who I love his writing and also am so happy to know him mm-hmm. and to have him as a mentor. Um, I love Karen Russell. Like there's so much imagination in her work, but there's also like really beautiful lines and really like stunning emotional content. So um, Carmen Maria Machado's collection Mm -hmm. was I think really important to me because I was working as a bookseller while that book was out. And so it was really exciting to be able to put that book and Nana's book and Karen Russell's book in people's hands. Especially because I don't think... Like generally, I just think people don't necessarily look for collections, which isn't isn't their fault so much as how things are marketed. And like, honestly, I didn't even know short stories were a thing before I went to college or went to my graduate program. I think I I didn't know to look for those. So it's uh, I think like a lot of those get put in the hands of readers by booksellers being like, I love you can sit down and, and, and then go on to your next thing, you know, like. Um, so those are some writers I really admire. Toni Morrison's Beloved. Freaking love that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really love Lauren Groff's books. I was um, going to mention her as someone who, like when I was alluding to, yeah, it's like their third book, like Florida came out after she, right. like, she was Pulitzer or yeah, for right. uh, or nominated for a novel. So it's like, right, right, right. People are like, I can't believe you're doing this. You're not following up with the novel. I'm, I don't know if they said that to her, but like, right. that's no, what feels, I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> probably Lauren Graff they're like girl you yeah, go off <laughs> publish whatever you want you do you, you do you. I yeah think it's funny like every now and then I mean I, I love and respect all books but like everything you listed is like that's my that's like who I read so it makes sense why yeah. I love House Gone Quiet so much <laughs> it's like we are loving and reading the same things like, yeah at the top yeah. of our list yeah who have you been reading lately and loving oh you just oh, told man. me yeah, yeah, but Alina Grabowski, though, I met her. Uh, she was, um, I, I, did, I hosted a lunch for Falcon, which is um, like a bookseller convention here in Denver, actually. Uh-huh. And she was on the panel uh, or like the lunch. They they pitched their books in like yeah. four minutes. And I had coffee with her before and like so funny. Woman and Children First is like, I think now coming out in May of next year. Yeah, I got pushed back a little bit. But... Um, and she definitely was like, is Kelsey Norris going to be on your podcast? I was like, <laughs> literally just set it up 20 yeah. minutes ago. <laughs> like, Alina you know and I were, I mean? in, we're in, Vander, we're at Vanderbilt together. And, yeah. uh, Alina takes, I feel like she takes women's stories, women's stories so seriously. Like she, she really writes, uh, I mean, she can do other things as well, but I feel like that's really present in that particular book is like, 
those characters are complex and they're mm -hmm. not all like good good girls good women whatever you know like um i'm excited yeah. for that Thank you so much to Kelsey Norris for coming on the Day Beautiful podcast to talk about her debut story collection, House Gone Quiet. You can find her on the internet at KelseyNorris.com and on Twitter at underscore Kelsey underscore Norris underscore. And you can find Day Beautiful at DayBeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful. Beautiful.